We're turning the scriptures once again, and this time to the book of Nehemiah, and to the first chapter, Nehemiah, and chapter 1. Nehemiah, and chapter 1. But we'll read together, we'll read uh, alternate verses through this short passage of Nehemiah, and chapter 1, reading alternate verses then from the first verse. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace. He and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant, and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, Though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servants this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Amen. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's bow our heads again in prayer. Our Father, we thank thee that we are able to read together the word of God. We thank thee, Lord, for the education that we receive in this land. And we thank thee, Lord, for thy servants of time past who brought these things about, that the ploughboy might be able to read the word of God. And Lord, as it is with men, they have taken the gifts which thou hast given to them, and they have turned them to their own purposes. Lord, they have refused thy commandments, and they have refused thy name. But, O Lord, we pray that thou wast hear us again in these days, that thou wast turn thy people unto thyself, that there might be a reviving, And, Lord, that there might be an awakening also within this land once again. Hear our prayer. 
Be with us this morning as we consider thy word and bless these things to our hearts and to our minds. We ask thee in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been considering the book of Matthew, haven't we? And uh, we came up to that point uh, in the scripture where the Lord says to us, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. In connection with that, the Lord has set before my eyes this portion of Scripture in Nehemiah in chapter 1. So rather than expounding the words from Matthew, I thought we would come to Nehemiah in chapter 1 and see how these things were put into practice in Nehemiah. We read in verse 4, and that will be my text this morning, Nehemiah 1 and verse 4. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. There was a burden upon Nehemiah's heart. He was a man who, had a, who was patriotic. Uh, he had a heart for his own people, uh, which was, of course, the people of Israel. And if we are to make a comparison so that these words may be a blessing to us, uh, we have to ask ourselves, do we have a heart and a, uh, and a purpose for God's people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who meet together in churches across this country? Uh, do we have a desire to see a unity? Do we have a desire to see the presence of the Lord in all of these congregations that we might be one? Uh, we remember those famous words about dividing and conquering. And I think that the devil certainly uh, seeks to do that and has done a, 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 a very good job within the churches, uh, causing people to follow after all kinds of strange doctrines and strange ideas uh, that there might not be a unity amongst us. But we are to come to one and they all seek that same one. If they are Christ, they all seek the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ needs to be central to us and our Father in heaven. And it is to him that we pray. And here in Nehemiah 1.4, he prayed before the God of heaven. It is God who unites us. It is God through Jesus Christ and by the presence of the Spirit of God within our hearts which unites us. And all of those who have the Spirit, of course, are one spirit in, in Christ. Not only was he patriotic, but he was also perturbed. He was perturbed. There was a turbulence in his mind. Uh, there was a, uh, uh, this turbid uh, thought process. Uh, all the confusion as to how that Israel uh, had come to this and the destruction of Jerusalem. We see there in the third verse that those who... He met who had come from Israel. Uh, they said the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. We might look upon the state of the church in this country in these days and say similarly, it, it seems, uh, certainly from the outside. And remember, Jerusalem was a city. Uh, the people were the, uh, the, the people of the Lord, but the Jerusalem itself was just the city. Uh, but it seems that in this day and age, too, there is a, a great breaking down. 
even the walls of salvation, where there is great doubt within uh, many people concerning their salvation and indeed of, uh, concerning the salvation of others. We, we look to see where the uh, blessing of God is. We look to see where there is a zeal after the house of God and a desire after the things of God. And so often that is absent even among those who profess to know his name. He was perturbed, but he was also a man who was passionate. And so we read in verse 4 that he, when he heard these words, he sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Here is a man who was passionate about the, the condition of Israel and the condition of Jerusalem at this time. And not only for the people's sake, not only for the city's sake, but for the Lord's sake, because he is speaking to the Lord of these things. The Lord God of heaven, a great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let now thine ear be attentive, verse 6, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants. So here again is this uh, passion that he has. And that seems to be something which is lacking in these days. I suppose we could even look across the, uh, this nation of, of England and uh, it's not very, we're not, not a very passionate people, are we? Uh, I was just thinking the other day, it's no wonder that the Lord began uh, this great work of salvation in Israel because uh, the, the people of, uh, of Israel were a passionate people. Uh, sadly, their passions took hold of them and carried them away from God, but uh, they were a passionate people and still are to this day. And indeed, uh, many from the Middle East are of a like nature. They are passionate people. And we see even in Islam and how that it has come across to these shores and in the places where it is a passion. Uh, and at the moment, of course, there is the Hajj and people have traveled from all across the world to go uh, to this uh, black stone uh, as they think of it as being the house of God. And there is a passion to go there. And I've seen some who have, uh, are not able to go this year, but they're praying that their God would allow them to go next year. And uh, everyone wants to keep this uh, pillar of Islam. Uh, what a passion there is. And just yesterday, there were some going down to the park across from our house. Uh, and they were all dressed up because of uh, Eid. And there is a passion amongst them. Well, Christians, it seems, are not that passionate. And when they are passionate, they're usually passionate about something which is, which is pointless. But we need to be passionate in prayer. We need to be passionate in seeking the Lord. We need to be passionate in the building of the church of Jesus Christ. And it's no wonder uh, that we are in the condition we are in when there is little passion amongst us. Here we find that Nehemiah is passionate. He is a man who, hearing these things, is, is affected by them. He is concerned by them. And not just did he go and pray, but he went certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So I want to consider this as we usually do under three heads uh, here today. First of all, the prayer of confession. Secondly, the prayer of confidence and or faith, I suppose we could say. The word confidence meaning faith. Uh, so the prayer of confession, the prayer of confidence and the prayer of of consistency so the first first of all the prayer of confession 
because he comes before the Lord and he says in in verse six there, let now thine ear let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations, but if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost parts of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. So he confesses the sins. He's not the first person to have done this, though. We turn to the book of, of uh, Daniel. We won't do that just now because of time's sake. But we find that Daniel does the same thing. Daniel comes before the Lord and he confesses the sins, his own sins, the sins of his father's house and the sins of the nation before the Lord. And he does so having read Jeremiah, where Jeremiah had prophesied that they would go into captivity for 70 years. And Daniel, having read those prophecies of the 70 years, goes before the Lord in this same passionate manner. And he begins to pray that the Lord would remember that promise and that he would restore Israel uh, back to their land and that he would build again that which was broken down because God's promise was that after 70 years they would return. And so Daniel has already been praying. And now Nehemiah is praying. And he is bringing a like, uh, a like uh, prayer before the Lord. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that, that these two people who don't appear to have, have uh, met or, or particularly have known each other, yet they both are praying. And that when God is going to work, God begins to stir up people. And we don't know who else is praying, who else is burdened in the same way as we are, or what the Lord is going to do. But nevertheless, we should look to ourselves to ask our, the question, are we passionate? We look back in our own lives and say, well, what have I done for the Lord? How have I lived for the Lord? Have I been one who has been studious in the word of God? Have I been one who is willing to take a stand for Christ? Have I been one who has witnessed, uh, not just with words, but in my actions, that I am honest and upright, uh, that I am righteous because I love the Lord and for that purpose? It speaks here of the, of the commandments of God. And what are the commandments of God? Have we, have we broken as we look through them? Remember, thou shalt not kill. Well, John writes, but if we hate our brother, then we are a murderer already. What is our condition of heart? Do we have a love one for another? We are not to commit adultery. Uh, but uh, the, the, the Lord Jesus says, but if we look upon one to lust after them, we have committed adultery in our hearts. What is our desire? What is the, the, the purpose within our hearts to walk in righteousness and in cleanliness and in holiness? Have we broken those commandments? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That seems to have been set aside by the church altogether. Just set aside and uh, to say, well, that doesn't really affect us anymore. Uh, we, every day should be a Sabbath for us. But the people who usually say that every day should be a Sabbath to us don't treat every day as a Sabbath. 
They don't treat every day as if it's the Lord's day. For they go out to their work and they gain their money and they do the things which are their own purposes. Isaiah writes about those who break the Sabbath uh, in, in, uh, in his prophecy and he talks about people doing their own, their own thing on the Sabbath day. Well, are we therefore not to do our own thing on any day? Who is it that says that the Sabbath is, should be every day but doesn't do their own thing on any day? Because every day is a Sabbath. It's a nonsense. Uh, but they have set aside the Lord's Day and they are not found in the house of God. I, I, I live just up the road from a, a, a gathering of, of Muslims and every Friday you see them walking down towards that place and you see them there uh, kneeling down and, and bowing uh, toward, uh, toward Mecca uh, that they would bring their prayers before their God. And they are... They are there. I don't know what they're like in their lives. I don't know whether they are honest people or uh, whether they pay their taxes or, or what else they might do. But nevertheless, they are there every Friday. But we look to the people of God and they say, oh, well, we don't need to go to church. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to meet together. And, and they will say, well, um, you know, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves uh, together as the manner of some is. Why are we to assemble? Well, to hear the word, certainly, but also in that same portion, to exhort one another, to encourage one another. We've set that aside. And other parts of the scripture too, which we consider to be of little importance in these days. And Nehemiah comes before the Lord and he says that we, it has slipped. It has slipped. Where once people came to the house of God on the Lord's day, walking for miles, not in cars with air conditioning, but just walking for miles to get to the house of God, that they might hear the gospel, that they might hear the word of the Lord. Well, we are in a situation in these days where perhaps the Lord has said, well, if you don't want me, that's fine. It won't affect me in any way because I am God and because I have created the heavens and the earth. Because I, have, I am eternal. And I, in that sacred trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, have uh, dwelt and lived forever. Long before there was a humanity. Long after there, was a, there will be a humanity. There I have no need of any. But we have need of him. And we need to be going to him and crying unto him. He's not lonely. Uh, there are some who say, well, uh, God is just uh, one is that for instance and he has no son and the holy spirit well they seem to think that the holy spirit is muhammad for some some reason uh, I, I can't really fathom that one but nevertheless that's what they seem to think and of course the trinity uh, they were taught by uh, by muhammad was the father and mary and the holy ghost so they didn't get that right either but nevertheless they don't believe that they believe that god is one but god is three he is not lonely he is one who understands everything about that which he has created. He is a unity. He is one. And yet there are three persons in that oneness. Well, here he brings his prayer of confession. The scripture tells us that we also should be coming before the Lord and confessing our sins. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, a self-examination. And this is what Nehemiah does. And when we think about the fasting as well, his purpose is to separate himself from all of his own purposes, of all of his own things, even down to what he eats and drinks. He set everything aside because this is the most important thing. And this is somewhat different, I think, to what Jesus is speaking about because he says, when ye fast, then don't make your faces sad, but wash your face and don't appear unto men to fast. I wonder if that uh, idea of appearing men to men to fast even came from Nehemiah because the king noticed Nehemiah that Nehemiah was sad. And maybe the Pharisees and the scribes thought, well, this is what you need to do. You need to be able to see uh, that uh, we are sad, like the king did in the days of Nehemiah, because they would have known that story. But Nehemiah was sad. That was the difference. Nehemiah wasn't just uh, 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 fasting and praying that he might bring himself closer to the Lord. He was a man who was distressed over the nation. He was truly distressed. He couldn't just wash his face and take away his demeanor. Because he was actually affected by it. And when he had to go in before the king, what was he doing? Well, he was kind of breaking his fast and his prayer to go in before the king. But really where he wanted to be was back in the prayer chamber, seeking the Lord and calling upon God that the Lord would have mercy upon Israel. And so there was a sadness about him. And there was nothing much he could do about that. So there is this self-examination and there's a self-abasement also. He is to bow himself and does do so before the Lord. And he says, we have transgressed, not only Israel, but my father's house. We have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments and the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. We have set these things apart. We have forgotten thee and thou hast uh, denied us for this time. But Lord, remember Remember that also that thou art a gracious God and that if we turn to thee and call upon thee that thou will return unto us also. If ye turn unto me and keep my commandments, verse 9, and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. We need to remember that there is a way back to the blessing of God there is a way back that we are not to be downcast sometimes we we can have a a kind of a feeling of doom fall across us and be downcast David uh, often had that same thing and he says that he uh, encouraged himself in the Lord that's what we need to do we need to look to the Lord that's what Nehemiah is, is doing he's going before God and he is praying before God the God who created the God who gave the commandments the God who met with Moses in the mount we need to have spend time in his presence and we need a social awareness also uh, we find here that he prays not just for himself but uh, but for the sins of his people of the people are we ready to pray for the sins of the people they may not be our specific sins i mean nehemiah at this point is burdened here is a man who wept and mourned and came before the lord and fasted and set aside those pleasures and those things which he desired that he might seek god and he could say well i'm righteous but the rest of them they need to sort themselves out but he's not just doing that he is praying for them also 
and he is bringing them before the Lord. We need to have that social awareness. Remember Job? It was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Do we have this desire? Do we have this prayer for those who profess the name of Christ? Remember, Achan's sin defeated the nation. When they went up to fight against Ai, because Achan had taken the wedge of gold, the Babylonish garment, where God had said, all of those things are dedicated to me, that none of those are to be touched, they are not to be taken by anyone. He caused the overthrow of the kingdom at that point, until he was dealt with. In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, who kept back a part of the price, did a very similar thing to Achan. Because they sold a parcel of land and they said it was all going to the church. But then they kept back a part of it and pretended uh, and lied and said this is what we got for it. When indeed they didn't. Well they could easily have just have said well we're going to keep back a part of this because we need it for this or for that. But perhaps they didn't actually need it. What they they desired was just to have uh, something a little nest egg to trust in rather than just trust in the Lord. But they also could have defeated the work of the church. They were dealt with by the Lord. Well, we need to be praying for our nation and for our people. Then we see, secondly, the prayer of confidence. There is a confidence in Nehemiah uh, in the promises of God. Uh, and we've looked, just read that verse in Nehemiah 1.9. How that uh, the Lord said that he would gather them from thence if they turn unto him. They would gather them from hence. And we have promises, don't we? We have promises like this in the scripture that we can bring before God, that we can say to the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon us. The people have turned their backs upon thee. And even those who ascend pulpit steps in these days, who don't believe in God, how they ever got to such positions is a mystery. Uh, But it goes back a long, long way. Corruption has come in. Uh, people, of course, thought the church was a, uh, well, it was somewhere you went to if you couldn't get into law and you couldn't get into medicine, then the church was a, a, a good place to be. You got place, a place of authority and, uh, and that was a reason why people went in, not because they loved the Lord or because they were called. And, of course, it's got more and more corrupt as the time goes on. Uh, and the corruption within the church is, is evident. But we have promises Joel 2.25 we read, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. My great army. You know, when the Chaldeans came and took the people of Israel out of their land, God called them his, his servants. He called the Chaldeans his servants because he was using them as an instrument in his hand to punish Israel. And I, I look upon the situation in our land in these days, and uh, Islam thinks that it, it may take this nation and turn it Islamic and bring in Sharia law here. And that's their purpose, and they have a great drive toward it. But nevertheless, when we know that the Lord is able to overcome these things, the Lord, even if they do that, it's because the Lord's hand is using them as an instrument to punish. And if we won't do that which is right then he will purge the land but God is able then to turn it back to himself 
and he is able to save those who now walk in darkness and bring them to the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But he has a confidence in God's promises. Do we have a confidence in God's promises? He is confident also in God's power. He remembers and he knows that God was able to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and bring them into the land which he had uh, chosen for them. He is, he is capable of changing things even today. He is able to do this. And sometimes we look upon the situation and the corruption and the uncleanness which surrounds us and the media which just spreads every kind of perversion and, 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 and corruption across uh, the, the Western world in these days. And we say, well, what can we do? Well, maybe we can't do anything, but God can. God is able. We need to be confident in God's power. There is none that can stand against him. Let's call upon him. And he is confident in God's purposes. In Nehemiah uh, verse 5, it says here, and, I, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, uh, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. See, God's purpose is to show mercy. I think it's amazing uh, that the law of the Old Testament, there's the Ten Commandments which God gave. But then he also added that sacrificial system because the commandments tell us that we are unclean and that we cannot keep those commandments but God did not leave us there and say well I've given you my commandments keep them do them and you'll be okay but he says but I will give you a sacrificial system for your sins because you can't keep these commandments even though you think you can and therefore you need some way to be forgiven And that way, of course, through the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, just really pointed to Christ. The blood of bulls and of goats cannot take away sins, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So we see that his purposes, first of all, uh, confident in God's purposes, the primary purpose uh, is uh, that, that he should seek the Lord who keeps covenant and mercy. Secondary purpose is for the nation. So primary purpose is to glorify God. That's Nehemiah's primary purpose. That this nation which, which God had delivered is now broken down. And that needs to be our purpose in our prayer. That the church should be restored for the glory of God. And secondary purpose is that the nation or, or that the city should be rebuilt. Uh, in verse 11 there Uh, We read, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That's the king, for I was the king's cupbearer. Here's his secondary purpose. Uh, What should I say? What should I bring before this king? And in chapter 2 there, in verse 4, we can see that this is uh, upon his mind. For it says, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I might build it. So he prayed. But this was a secondary thing. To rebuild was a secondary thing. The first, the primary thing, was to give God the glory 
and that the people should walk according to his commandments. And then we see finally the prayer of consistency. He was consistent in fervency. He not only prayed, but he fasted. And he not only prayed and fasted, but he prayed and fasted for certain days. He set apart a time and he continued to pray before the Lord day and night, as we see there uh, in the sixth verse. Let now thine ear be attentive, thine ears open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray thee before thee now day and night for the children of Israel. So there is a consistency. It's not just one prayer, but a continued prayer. He has a purpose, and he is fervent in that. He is ready uh, both to fast and to pray. In James 5 and verse 16, we read, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Here is a fervent prayer. And God answered that prayer. In fact, he answered it abundantly. If we read 1 Kings 18.1, where that, uh, that um, is related to us, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth in the third year. But here it says three years and six months. The Lord adds, the Lord goes abundantly uh, and is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. It's consistent in fervency. It's consistent in faith. We see here that he is uh, ready to grasp the opportunity of speaking to the king. What does it say? Here in the 11th verse, once again, it says, And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. And then in verse 2 of chapter 2, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city and the place of my, of my father's sepulchres lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He is consistent in faith and he is ready to call upon God when the opportunity arises, which he had prayed for, that he should find mercy or tender mercy in the sight of the king. And that came. God answered his prayer and he prayed again and the Lord was with him. And he was consistent, of course, in following. First of all, he asks the king's favor. And here is this great desire. He has sought God for it and now he has the opportunity to seek the king for it. And so he brings that opportunity and he takes that opportunity and uses it. He is a man who is consistent in his purpose. We need that consistency in these days. We need that desire that God should be glorified. And when we pray, when we fast, we should do so in the quietness of our own hearts. But it may be that the burden of our heart is the thing which carries us and may be observable. And people may see uh, that we are downhearted as we call unto God. Uh, but 
the Pharisees, of course, in the days which the Lord Jesus was referring to. The Pharisees were doing this just because it was something to be done. It was a part of their religion. It was another work which they did. And they wanted to make sure everybody knew that they were doing it. It wasn't fervent. It wasn't real. It wasn't powerful. It was just something to be done. We need not to be of that kind. But oh, that we might have a desire for the work of God, for the salvation of souls, for the building again of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this land. May the Lord bless these thoughts and words to us this day.